Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Head of Performance at Aston Villa Football Club, Michael Watts. Hi guys, welcome to episode 40 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we have Michael Watts from Aston Villa on the phone. Just before I tell you what's going to come up on the podcast today, I just want to say thank you for the great support getting to episode 40 of the podcast. So today we talked to Michael about keeping players on the pitch, so keeping players fit and what he does to uh, ensure that happens. Uh, using GPS, which was, as I say in the, in the uh, discussion with Michael, uh, a big part of the Seattle Sounders Sports Science Conference. We also look at dealing with and presenting data uh, and uh, off-season and pre-season programs. So I'll keep this very short because it's a, it's a great episode, Michael, and one that I was very um, privileged to see over in Seattle. So we discussed a few of the things on top of what was discussed over there. Um, but before I go any more, here is the chat with Michael Watts. Okay, hi guys, welcome to the Pace of Performance podcast. So today I've got uh, a speaker on from uh, Seattle Sounders Sports Science Weekend that happened last week. Uh, met him over there and it's Michael Watts, who is the head of performance at Aston Villa. So heard Michael speak over there and was really interested to get him on um, from, from what he had to say over there. So welcome to the podcast, Michael. Hi Rob, thanks for having me on. No worries, mate. So. Just before we get going, do you want to give us a bit of a background, a bit of information on your experience, your education, what you're currently doing? Yes, yeah, no problem. So probably a bit of an unconventional approach to, to, to being where I am, really. I was um, doing a, a business management degree. Uh, this is going sort of way, way back, uh, 2002. Um, and then one summer, I ended up going out with with a friend to America to coach for a company called Pro Excel. So we just did the, the six week summer camps, and I just got an appetite for for coaching and being outside. So I came back, and there was an opportunity with um, with David Lloyd's as a fitness coach, and applied for the job, and I took it, uh, and then started working at, at, at David Lloyd's. Uh, whilst doing my my degree, uh, I was committed to my degree at that time, so I, I went on and, and completed it. From from there, I sort of started to build my philosophy, uh, which was sort of heavily embedded with the NESM's approach to to training, uh, the, their performance exercise and corrective exercise. Um, and just through that job, really, I I, I, I met a guy. Uh, called Kev Paxton and he was at Sheffield United and, and he told me that Sheffield United were looking for a fitness coach to go out and work with their Chinese team which was uh, an opportunity I thought I couldn't really pass up on so I, I took it um, it was initially a three month contract and I just thought to myself for well, three months I got there and whatever happens I could come back and continue doing what I'm doing and then three months turned into a year, and a year turned into two years. And then before I knew it, I was being offered a job back with Sheffield United to take over at the academy there. So I headed back. Um, as is professional sport and football, things soon changed, and um, the head fitness coach left, and in came Dean Riddle, uh, who I know you know, and who gets mentioned a fair bit on these uh, podcasts. He does. He just pops up yeah. a lot. He gets everywhere, does Dean? <laughs> and uh, Dean was great for me because um, it was, although I'd done two years on my own out in China, it was almost two years of 
not almost knowing what I was doing, working in a professional team with with a, with the first team, um, sort of learning as I went. Made loads of mistakes, but probably just because of the the culture I was working in and and and, and the team I was at, sort of got away with it a little bit. Um, also, while I was out in China, started doing a little bit of work for the under 19 men's national team, which was great. So the opportunities were really good. Um, I even got offered um, to go and work with the, the women's Olympic team, but I'd come back to, to Sheffield and I decided that really that's why I wanted to come back and, 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 I, and I committed to Sheffield and, and, and I saw that out. And then whilst I was at Sheffield, I went back to university and did my master's. Uh, Sheffield Hallam and I did that in sports science uh, I did a strength and conditioning pathway there so that was really helpful for me because uh, really my my education background to that point was was more of a business so looking at the business side and then moving into the sports science and um, then start to do my sort of in-house qualifications so like the FA Fitness Trainers Award ball of weightlifting SAQ all those sort of things um, and then I got a job offer to go to Norwich City um, as the first team fitness guy, uh, to which I couldn't pass that up. They were in the championship at the time and they'd just bounced up from League One to the championship, uh, joined there and ha- had three great years at, at Norwich. Unbelievable experience with promotion and great city, great club. Uh, and then the opportunity came to go to Aston Villa and... Uh, Big club. I'm from the Midlands originally, so I'm from Derby. And then I really could not pass that opportunity up. Unbelievable opportunity to come in as, as head of performance. Um, so I took the opportunity. Been there for two years. Obviously, the FA Cup uh, not not so long ago was an absolutely amazing experience. Uh, and about 18 months ago as well, I started my own um, performance cycling company. Like I've got a big interest in cycling, so I, I started that up. And it's, it's opened my eyes up to more endurance athletes rather than intermittent or team sports, so completely different. Uh, and along the way, just doing other little little bits and bobs in terms of um, education. So uh, the ISAC body composition course, um, also looking at doing the TRX stuff, got into that quite heavily, so the suspension training and the RIP training. So I'm always looking to develop and continue my education. There's a few more things in the pipeline this year as well. Um, and also I was lucky enough to, to also become a part of the, the, the Nike, the trainers network as well. So do, do a little bit for them from time to time, answering questions on their, on their, uh, their hub, as they call it. And also a few weeks ago, just out in Portland, doing a little bit of work based around pre-season. So uh, it, it, it's been an interesting journey to this point. Uh, I, I don't see it as finished by a long way. Sort of just feel like really I'm just getting started and sort of cementing that philosophy I have around training and and uh, experience really just pulls and pins it all together. So in in a nutshell, that's where I'm at really, Rob. Sounds good, mate. So there's tons of questions I want to ask you just off the back of that. So you mentioned your philosophy early doors. How how did you go about, did you actually create it and write it down and go through and, you know, uh, kind of a systematic thought process or it just, it's just kind of developed over time? How, how, uh, was, you know, how, how did that come about? Yeah, well, it, it sort of develops over time. You, 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 the, the NESM and I did that when I was a fitness coach personal trainer and, and it always stuck with me sort of how strong the fundamentals were of that and, and, and how practical it was really and at the time obviously you work with general population and you, and you feel there's probably more to this than what can be offering them and I always saw like the NESM as really like performance work for professional athletes and then as you go through your career, you gain your experience, you do more and more qualifications, you do more study at university and and you start to get that philosophy. But I think what is good practice to do and, and, and worth doing is actually starting to write down your philosophy and, and, and almost have it black and white. What do you believe in? Why do you believe in it? 
and and almost underpin it with a little bit of with a little bit of either research or a little bit of evidence as to to why you feel it works or why it doesn't work like come across plenty of people who have said to me like yeah it's worth writing down your philosophy and you think to yourself maybe maybe I should maybe you shouldn't but it's something that I've done and it's something that I've done pretty recently so with with sort of 10 years professional experience and two three years working as a fitness coach personal trainer I've only sort of done it in the last few months really uh, and it and it's been a really really good process for me and it's made me question certain things that I do and it's made me question why I'm doing it um and, and and I'd say to any any fitness coach, any sports scientist, anyone working within sport, have a philosophy and 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 write it down and question why you do things and and if you're not sure, find the answer why you do it. So how so how have you how have you broken that down? What what is it in sections? Is it you know what I mean? How, how is that structured? Yeah. Okay. So the the first thing I thought was right. What's important to me and, and what do I feel works? So. We do a lot of preparation type work um, within within the, the football club, and and then thinking right, what is preparation work? So and 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 how do you design a bespoke program for someone? So really looking at movement that that'd be one element of it. Um, how do the guys move? Can you improve the movement? And what does the movement mean? And then. Moving on from movement, you're looking at strengthening. How do you strengthen the guys? In, in what modality do you strengthen them? In what environment do you strengthen them? Because when I first started football, I thought all the strengthening should be done indoors and within the gym. But as you as you start working the sport, you you've actually see that you can start doing strengthening work and even movement work actually on the field as part of your warm-up rather than just being a general warm-up, you can start to put things in. Um, so I think that's an important consideration as well. And then also, obviously, football, uh, a coach once said to me, and it always stuck with me, it's actually a running game. So how do you condition and how, how do you get guys fit? Or how do you keep them fit? Or how do you increase the fitness? So probably the, the three main areas that I'd look at is preparation, stroke movement, strength, and then also some sort of metabolic conditioning. Mm, cool. I know we're 10 minutes in, we haven't discussed anything what we're going to, but that's fine. Um, so one little last thing is your cycling stuff. Yeah. Just talk to us a little bit about um, what you touched on before with regards to the, the cycling. Yeah, so I, I, the, the business really was, was born out of people just asking me for help. Um, obviously, just knowing my background knowing what I did, people would then start asking me, oh, can, can you help me and can I get fitter or can I get stronger? Uh, it's completely different sport to, obviously, football. You, you condition people in a completely different way. There's a lot more variables that you can control. Um, and obviously, with the, with the use of power now, it makes it a lot easier rather than just working with heart rate and and getting getting used to people working with power, I think is important. It is quite an expensive thing to use. Um, they're not cheap to install a power meter on the bike or have a power meter on the turbo, but definitely well worth getting if if you're sort of serious about your, your conditioning. Um, and just built up a few clients now. I, I try not to take too many on um, because obviously the priority is is, is the day job and, and the football club. Um, but I do find it it's probably helped in a way in increasing my knowledge, some of the things I've learned and, and some of the things that I've come across we, we, we do use at the football club. On the Watt bikes, we use them quite heavily. So when it comes to a little bit of testing or a little bit of conditioning, um, we profile the guys on the Watt bikes and, and then we know the zone, power zones, rather than just sort of blindly going in. Obviously, heart rate, as a variable there's a lot of things that can influence that illness stress fatigue whereas power's power and you can't escape the fact that if you're doing 150 watts it's 150 watts or if it's 300 watts it's 300 watts so it's uh it's opened my eyes really to, to a different training modality and, and, and different metrics that you can use in order to condition people um and also trying to find different ways that you can 
you can condition a cyclist compared to a, a team sport athlete. So is there a crossover? Maybe a little bit in, in terms of rehabbing, but they're two completely different sports. But it's it's been a it's been a good process and a good learning process for myself. Hmm, cool. So do, do you want to tell us about your how you profile your guys at the, at the club with regards to their power using the watt bike? Yeah. So it's something really we we've only just introduced. Uh, we got the watt bikes last season, um, and then we'd been having a play around with them. And the Watt bikes, they they have pre pre programmed testing that, that's already set within the within the bikes. And one of the tests that that you can do is a, a six second peak power test. We started playing around with it. We, we got the guys on, and and we, we we just sort of got some peak power outputs off them. What the Watt bike allows you to do as well is look at a, a power to mass ratio. So if you if you've got a, a, a guy who who's maybe a bit slight, 70 kg, and then you've got a guy who's heavier, 90, 95 kg, you can actually have a look at these ratios rather than just saying peak power for player A is, is 1,400 and peak power for player B is 1,600. It actually gives you that power to mass ratio. So that's something that we've started to look at. And and it and it's good for the guys because it gives them a reference of where they're at as an individual, because obviously it's obvious if, if you've got a bigger guy, he's going to produce more power. That, that's obvious. But what does that mean in terms of power to weight ratio for an individual? Because you can see the small guys in the Premier League, little guys, little players, and, and they're really, really explosive. But people might say, oh, he's, he's maybe not strong enough or he's maybe not powerful enough. But when you can compare some and say, well, actually, his power to weight ratio is, is better than the bigger guy who who stands next to him it's quite an interesting thing to see um and then we, we've done a little little bit of a study within our academy um just just really having a look at the correlation between obviously jump height and uh sprint sort of 10 20 meter 30 sprints that's pretty common practice within within football something i've come across a lot and we we thought right two two well sprints are pretty invasive so I don't know if you get many first team that will do sprint train sprint training in terms of testing that 20 30 meters high risk of maybe a hamstring injury or some kind of muscle strain so we just had a look and the correlation between the guys who are producing the the the, the peak power the highest peak power with the guys that were also running the fastest over the 2030s and the guys that were jumping the highest so things like that are, are pretty useful in terms of profiling, so so if if you know a guy is producing a peak power, then is there a need to sprint test him? Unless the coach or unless somebody really wants to know how quickly a guy can run twenty meters in. So it's it's been really helpful for that. Uh, we're also playing around with a thirty second anaerobic test, um, which is a bit similar. Maybe maybe people at university did the Wingate test, where it's just a thirty second max effort. So. We're looking at that one as well. The interesting thing about that is a fatigue index. So every five seconds, the the watt bike will will, will just um, record power, and then the fatigue index basically looks at the the highest peak power and the lowest, and it'll just give you a fatigue index in terms of percentage between. So just as a, an anaerobic test, quite nice to see sort of how quickly the guys fatigue, and and then. If the guys are injured, we start looking at a three-minute aerobic test where we'll get them on there. They just go for three minutes, much as they can, uh, and then that will automatically profile the power zone. So then, when we're when we're working the guys and conditioning them, um, if we want to be doing some zone five work, we know exactly what power they should be or zone six, and that just start to bring us away from saying right, you need to be in this heart rate. Obviously. If you're doing the higher end of stuff, like your zone six, your zone seven, like that, that those sort of tabatas, then the heart rate really, it, 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 it doesn't, doesn't matter what the heart rate's doing because you're never going to be able to spend long enough in that work zone to get the heart rate up to towards maximum. So that's where power really plays a massive part. Um, so so we're using it quite heavily at the moment. We'll be using it in pre-season. Um I think it's a, a good tool. We're going to try and conduct a little bit more research within house and have a look at ways we can use the data and have a look at ways we can we can develop it. But 
I've been really impressed with it as a, as a bit of kit. I know it's used quite heavily in rugby. Obviously, cycling use it. Um, so, yeah, we'll continue to, to research and look into it. Sounds great. So, one thing that came across from your uh, little talk last week and other talks at the same time, it seems obvious, but the key thing to, as part of your job or our job as a whole is to keep players on the pitch. The, yeah. the importance of uh, of keeping guys, keeping your best players available for the coach. So, what kind of things uh, are you implementing the club to to go about that and tick that box? Well, the the most important thing really is that a player can play, and 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 if you start to work back from that and think, right, this player needs to be available to play, uh, and then what is required for this player to play, and I think the game is definitely moving out to more individualised approach um, you might have a guy who can't train four days a week so how do you keep him fit um, if, if he's not going to train and do actual loading so so the actual training will co- cause a load which we'll see from like GPS then then how are you going to keep him fit unloaded wise is it going to be bikes is it going to be swimming is it going to be strength work in the gym so it's, it's designing this this bespoke programme for each player, really, and making sure that he's available for the manager, for the coach to be selected. I think the preparation work's really important. Um, we're looking at next season, just developing that a little bit and, and, and trying to work more of an individual approach rather than a, a sort of a, a group carpet bomb approach. So that's something we're going to change. And then the other thing, obviously, is recovery. Um Post-exercise, I think it's really important. Um, I spent a little bit of time with Kelly Sturat, uh out in, out in um, San Francisco. Unbelievable guy. Uh, we were speaking to him about sort of post, post-training recovery. Uh, he talks about sort of smashing up certain muscles, which, which probably to me and you is, is like foam rolling or, or trigger point work. But that was unbelievable, sort of some of the things he was showing us. Uh, and, and we also spoke to him a bit about prep work as well, sort of um, hip mobility. Um, I don't know if you've seen his, his his voodoo flossing as well, things like that. So little bits that you can introduce. Um, some things like that. Maybe maybe they're not don't have the biggest scientific backing, but if it works, if it makes one of the lads feel good, I, I don't always see a problem with things like that. Um, and then. And then another thing, really, which I think people do overlook, is the nutrition side, um, and also the sleep side. Um, there was a there was a great talk um, out in in Seattle um, about how important sleep was, and it made me uh, made me realise that really, if if the guys aren't sleeping, then any other training that they're doing, whether that be the actual specific football training, whether that be gym work, whether that be recovery work, nothing nothing has as much impact as sleep and if you don't get that right then basically everything else suffers so I think basics it comes back to that word Rob like we speak about the basics and getting the fundamentals right sleep eat and train and and try and do each as organically as you can and and, and I think it will keep you on that pitch longer and it will keep you keep you available for selection more often than not. Mm. So, again, just referring back to the Seattle stuff, again, it came across to me that people were quite aware, and, and you more than more than probably the rest of the guys, without uh, aware that this can become a bit of a big brother type scenario where things have been taken home to monitor, the monitor on the pitch, the monitor after training, the monitor before training. So... When you talk about sleep, how are you going to kind of go about um, tracking that quality of sleep without being um, obviously too intrusive on, on certain players that may think that the, the monitoring is going to affect their contract or the playing or, you know, that kind of scenario? Yeah, yeah I, I think we're heading into a world of where technology is, is almost becoming the forefront runner of everything we do and for me like putting sleep monitors on guys seeing what the level of quality of sleep is 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 it really necessary for every player I don't think so does it have a place yes I do I think there's got to be some form of trust between coach and player 
Um, the, the, at the end of the day, these guys are adults. They're not. It's not as if they're, they're kids. They do know. If you speak to a professional footballer, they are pretty well informed about most areas. It's not as if they they blindly go through their career not realising the importance of sleep or the importance of nutrition. These guys do know. They are pretty clever guys. They're pretty switched on. They've 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 been subjected to many many different um, tests and many different styles of coaching so their sort of learning process is is quite big really and it's not as if they don't understand and I think to to start saying right I'm going to monitor your sleep I'm going to monitor where you go with your wife I'm going to monitor what you're doing at night it can be a little bit invasive if if you start flagging a guy who's having a problem maybe getting injuries a lot of soft tissue injuries or or, or, or reporting that they're lacking a lot of energy, then that's where you might speak to the pro and say, right, I believe we can try and help you and we can have a look into your sleep hygiene, as they call it, and and we can use this to monitor you and see what's going on and, and try and help you then. Yeah, I think it does have a place, but I think we've, we've got to be careful not to overstep the mark and just collect data for the sake of collecting data or, or, or start being too invasive with players. Because at, at the end of the day, they are, they are, they are a human being and, and, and they are an actual person. And the way we treat them can affect their, their mindset. And I really think that, that mindset is important to how they conduct themselves around the training ground. Um, a happy player is usually a, a more productive player. So there's definitely a balance. Uh, and again, I'll come back to that word. It's it, it's about that individualization and and creating a bespoke program. If they need it, they need it. If they don't, then maybe best leave them alone. Mm-hmm. Cool. So just moving on to another thing that was discussed a lot last week, which was GPS. So obviously using GPS down at the club. How are you using it, and what are you collecting, and more importantly, how is that data being fed back to coaches and actually used to um, develop uh, develop training. Yeah, well, we're really lucky. We've got we've got a great great guy down there who who works our system. Um, a, a lad called Tom Allen. Um, when I when I arrived at Villa, he was already there, so I inherited him really. Uh, but he's very knowledgeable. Um, he he looks into how he can improve the system and how he can improve the software and. And sort of creating his own algorithm. So, so Tom, Tom feeds back daily to myself and the coaches, and uh, looking at different variables. So, so variables we we look at would be like a total distance um, covered in meters, high intensity covered in meters, the dynamic stress load, uh, red zone, so the heart rate, uh, metabolic power, and then uh, HML, so the high metabolic load. Um, so all, all all these different markers we we will look at in terms of intensity. Uh, we we will give a give a color color coordination to and and rate them from low low to moderate, high moderate, high and, and then max. And they're all color coordinated, color coordinated from green up to red. And we also scale them one to five. Um, this is something Tom's created. Um, which which is based on our our a match day, so really we're collecting the the data off off pre season. So there might be a little bit of drop off because obviously a pre season game is not as intense as a Premier League game. But we will then rate everything from one to five uh, in terms of volume and then in terms of intensity, and then we also take an RP and see if that correlates with the intensity. Um, so the volume is the averages. The the, the um, Intensity is, is per minutes, and then the RP is just a case of asking the guys how they feel, and that's that's given us a really really good sort of visual um, reference point as to how hard the guys are working, and then in terms of of putting that into a graph, just simple bar graph, you can you can plot your high intensity and, and your total distance, which is something we use quite regular uh, in order just to sort of track against. A match on a Saturday, and and just have a look at in terms of the week, and then once you have that data, then it's a case of how how do you present it, and, and what's meaningful. And I think that always comes down to the coaches that you're working with, because they they have 
their different ideas of what they want to say. And I, I usually find with coaches, they, they almost want one number just to say, just tell me how intense it was or tell me how the guys are feeling. So they don't want to look through reams and reams of data. I think almost they just want to have one number. And that's the tricky part because I, I think there's there's more going on maybe than just one number. Um, but that, that's that, that's the trick we we need to come up with as, as sports scientists or fitness coaches how do we how do we communicate with with coaches who who don't always have the same background as us there's not there's not too many sports scientists and coaches out there um but coming up with those those figures or those numbers is is really important um something we're sort of developing and Tom's working on and we're trying to come up with almost like a a one one number just to sum it all up but it's it's pretty difficult um but with sort of getting there um i really like the one to five rating and in terms of looking at that over a week or a month you can start to add those scores up and just a simple way of of keeping an eye on volume and intensity um the single figure i think i think there's probably more going on than just a single figure really i think it's probably too too difficult just to pull out a single figure but maybe maybe we might find something and you never know, Tom might come up with something that, that that's a bit groundbreaking and we start using that. So I think there's no wrong or right way. I think it, it just comes across as what do your coaches want to say um, and present it in a way that, that makes sense to them, really. So all your stuff is is based on a percentage of of a match day, which is your pre-season? Yes, that's right, yeah. Okay. So the guys will be wearing their GPS and the heart rates within the pre-season games. Obviously, they they tend to get more intense as you get further into the pre-season uh, and the opposition tends to get a bit better as well. Um, they usually like have that marquee game at the end at the end of pre-season against one of the bigger European teams. Um, and that's where we start to take our, our averages from really uh, and, and set our thresholds against that. But we do understand and we do realise that that game is not the same as a Premier League game. There's always an increase in intensity. Um, but we're not allowed to wear the GPS or the heart rates in, in games, so you have to reference it against something. I know, I know something Tom will do during the, during the season and training. He will start to adjust markers accordingly if he, if he sees something that, that maybe doesn't fit right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of doing the best you can with, with the circumstances. Hmm. Cool. So obviously we're in the off season now, uh, a couple of weeks to go before pre-season. Um, so what's, what have you sent your lads away with for the off season and back to this monitoring big brother type uh, conversation yeah. we were having earlier? Are you actually keeping up to date with what they're doing or is it just kind of their responsibility and you expect what you expect? Um, yeah, so we, we, we give them a, a programme to take with them. Uh, it's still still a printed out hard copy. Um I think I think that's probably a bit dated if I'm honest now. Um I think if there's somebody out there who 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 fancies a chat about creating some software or an app or something like that, I think I, I, I would definitely be interested in speaking to him. I think that's that's the way it will be going. Um you, you see things like training peaks is something like I, I use with the cyclists um in order of putting down programs and and alerts to people's phones and, and where they actually can log the, the sessions that they do so um in terms of what we're doing i think i think it is outdated um so yeah we'll just give them a, a booklet and, and we'll set sort of almost interval training and a bit of strength training we'll start give them we'll say to them start off with a complete break sort of 10 to 10 to 14 days completely off your feet rest relax recover recuperate that sort of thing then we'll say go into a week of unloaded, um, so bike or swim, something where they're not running, and then we'll slowly introduce more of the loaded stuff where we'll say to them, right, go out and start doing some running, um, get used to load again through your body, start to introduce the strength stuff. We, we just give them more intervals, so we'll just say, right, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, and do that um, 20 times, and these are the intensity to work at basically run jog walk so we try and make it really simple so we don't send them away with any heart rates or any gps or anything like that uh, 
So it's just a case of making it really simple, making it transferable. So if you send 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, that can be done on a treadmill. It could be done running up and down the park. It could be run, running up and down the street. Any of those modalities that you want to train, you can do it as long as you're working the intervals right. So try not to be too restrictive because what I've found in the past, if you say, right, I want you doing uh, barbell deadlifts and then I want you doing barbell squats and then you need to be doing this this exact exercise on this piece of equipment then that's where you can start getting into, oh, well, I didn't have that piece of equipment or I wasn't able to do that because more more than not, the guys will be on holiday. Um, and you know what sort of gyms can be like when you're away on holiday. They're not always like these decent performance centres that we start to see pop up. They can just be sort of the, the worst room in the hotel with, with maybe one treadmill and a, and, a, and a pair of 5K dumbbells or something like that. So... Just try and make it simple for them, but something we would like to develop. And as you say on the monitoring side of things, there's some, there is some good tech out there, definitely some good tech out there. And I think it's going to have to change and I think it's going to evolve. And I think it's that conversation of having with a player to say, we're not monitoring you because we're trying to catch you out. We're, we're, we're monitoring you because we want to help you. So, So all I do really is during the off season I'll just contact the lads I just text them how are you getting on everything alright uh, they usually come back to you yeah no problem had one of the guys come back to me today just asking a question and, and you're just here to support them really um, if they need the support they know where you are if they don't then you just see them report back and uh, once we start doing a little bit of testing with them then, then you usually get a good in- indication how much they've done or how much they've not done mm-hmm. cool so when they come, how, how does it? How do you transition from the off season into your pre season? So last couple of weeks in your off season, so first couple of weeks in your pre season, and yeah. you've got like a testing day somewhere, yeah. smacking in the middle. But how yeah. does that? How do you kind of create that seamless transition? Yeah. So first first day back uh, will be a testing day. We don't do anything too invasive or, or maximal because obviously. We're aware that the guys have been off and probably not been exercising as much. So I don't think you should fall into that trap of doing certain tests and then that being the benchmark to say, right, they're here. Because as soon as they start training for six weeks and then if you retest them, of course they're going to be fitter. So uh, we we try not to fall into that trap. Um, So, yeah, they'll they'll come in. We get them like to come in two by two, if you like, um, and they'll come in they'll work together they'll go through various screenings various tests uh spend sort of an hour and a half just doing what we need them to do and then off they go and then they'll report back again the next day or or whenever the the manager decides he wants them back in which is which is already set up and then off we go with a with more of the training side so um it's once you get into pre-season it's just a case of gradually building volume and intensity really like periodization of football people people are sort of more aware now of of you've got five or six weeks to get them fit and you don't have to don't have to sort of absolutely destroy them in in day one or or, or day two so it's a gradual process now the balls come out pretty early they come out on day one which i think is a good idea I'm, i'm not one who who thinks that it should all be about running i think you can get a lot of conditioning through the football um but I still think there's a place for what I call formal running. Um, sometimes you can't always get exactly what you want physically from 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 small sided games or or technical. I think I think there still is a place for running, both physically and mentally. Um, I think it can build a, a bit of a camaraderie and team spirit. The, the running because it's tough, it hurts, and once you have guys who are, are running together and getting each other through it, I, I think you can start to see that builds that spirit. Um, and then, obviously, the games come in as well. Uh, you usually find that players will start with maybe 30 or 45 minutes and then gradually build up 60 minutes and then 90 minutes. And that's, that, that's a challenge, making sure that you get people with enough minutes under the belt because there's only so many games and you've got quite a few players. Um, and ultimately, they, they need the games in order to bridge that gap between training and, and, and match play. Um, 
so yeah, it's a, it's a it's a tough process, and it and it takes a bit of planning and it takes a bit of thought, but um, it's just that gradually increase volume, gradually increase intensity. Make sure that that lads are getting minutes training and minutes playing. I think the strength work's really important in pre-season. Um, recovery, obviously, really important because you can get lads doing double sessions, which which they're not always used to. So you've gone from in season single session a week then you go nothing for off season then all of a sudden they're back and they're doing double sessions so it can be quite a shock to the system uh, and the most important thing is, is making sure that the the guys train and play and hang in there um, I know sort of if, if, if they miss one day they're better off to miss one day than one week because once they start missing training and they get into this cycle of, of, of deconditioning you think if the lads are are doing double sessions. If you miss a week, then that, that's ten sessions that that's going to be hard to catch up on, really. So it's really important that they, they stay in there and and they hang in. Um, it, it does get hard, and you do see them them suffering a little bit. But but that that's what they expect, and that's sort of what they get paid for, and that's that's what they they are conditioned to do, really. Like if if me or you joined in for a a week, Rob, I don't think it would last too long. If, I, <laughs> if I'm honest, because they, they they are they are pretty special in terms of their their, their physical capabilities. Like some of the guys you watch, like their, their aerobic capacity or, or their strength or their power or whatever makes makes up their their physical prowess. Some of the guys are incredible to watch and to to see them up close, whether it be testing or training or actually playing. That's it's incredible to watch some of them. You wouldn't believe how awful I was at preseason when I played. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was me. It was me and the keepers at the back getting <laughs> abused. <laughs> um, but anyway, just just one last thing. One one, that, one thing that came across in your um, talk in Seattle was the kind of brutal honesty of how it is to work in the Premier League. Which I think, as we discussed while we're over there, I think was quite a bit of a shock to some of the collegiate guys um, and some of the, the kind of some of the guys in the states. I just wanted to know of any feedback you got after the after the chat, basically because obviously you mentioned about the, the com- some compliance issues that you may get with a, a small number of players, and I think from looking around that was a bit like I say a bit of a shock to some of these guys. What what kind of feedback did you get after that? Did you get people coming up to you and and asking you questions about you know how how you deal with these players was it was it shock or was it just some glum faces that I was looking around at yeah well well i think i think the honesty um comes that's just the way i am and that's the way i approach things and and i had a lot of people say thanks for your honesty and it was really interesting I, when whenever i see anyone present or talk you get the guys who i think will give you like the theoretical world and they'll give you this and give you that and you just think yeah, but that doesn't work. And when you get the guys actually open up and share sort of the, the problems that you might come across, and that for me is more interesting. Um, I, th- I think, I can't remember who said it, it was someone at, it, over in that the, the conference there, 20% of knowledge and 80% of how you manage it. And and, and that's pretty powerful. Um, you, you deal, you're dealing with guys who, as I said, are intelligent, that have been exposed to sports science and fitness for quite a long time I, I do I don't know if you agree or don't agree Rob I think we're starting to have a little bit of a backlash against um, maybe sports science and maybe fitness because maybe we've been a bit too invasive when when we started in the industry maybe we collected too much data maybe we we were asking too many questions we had all this data we had all this knowledge but we never shared it and never did anything with it and now players are a bit more reluctant to say, well, I don't mind giving you data and I don't mind doing testing, but please do something with it. And I think that's fair enough. I, I don't think we should just be collecting and collecting unless it's for a purpose or it has some kind of consent. Like understand research like you might have to. And, and if you are researching, then I think it's important. And I, I think that's how we, we make strides w- within the industry. But just sitting on data and collecting it, I don't agree with. Uh, I think most managers and coaches will, will probably agree with me. What I say there, make it meaningful. If you're going to collect the data, do something with it. 
because that's the real world. And when it comes to compliance, I think you get better compliance if you speak to your players and you actually give them a reason why you're doing it and they can see why you're doing it. I, I can't reference what English players are like to American players because I've never worked with them. Uh, I can Chinese players. They, they were easy to work with. Um, <laughs> but that's probably a, a, a society thing. Like, Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but it's not to say that they're the, the, the difficult or bad people to work with because there's some great guys that, that we work with and sometimes the ones that challenge you are actually the ones that develop you better because they'll ask questions and they'll, they'll, they'll say, why are we doing this or why are we doing that? And I, I actually find that those, those players that you work with, in a way, it's, it's refreshing because it keeps, keeps challenging, it keeps you questioning your philosophy and keeps you questioning why you're actually doing things. So I don't mind being challenged by a coach or a, or a player because ultimately I think they, they have every right to ask why you're doing that or why you're doing that. That's that's fine, but yeah, maybe it did shock a few people. I, I think I, I don't know, Rob. I don't know what what high school or collegiate athletes are like compared to Premier League football players. But but just just to be honest, I think I think it is a good approach, and I think more and more people within the industry like listen to to a few of your podcasts, and people seem to be getting more honest and open. Uh, and I think I think that's a good thing. Mm, no, definitely. And I think the thing that you said at the start, which is one of the huge messages that I took away was about the the twenty percent what you know, eighty percent how you manage people, and I think that kind of that kind of summed up the whole three days for me. That you can collect all this data, and it was a lot about data, giving the right data to the right people in the right way, and I think that kind of spoke volumes about the whole thing, really. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you a hundred percent. And if if you get people who who collect data and uh, and you get these clever guys, these scientists, so they, they can sit on it, but they can't actually relay or, or communicate it, then it, it's pretty pointless. Pointless, really. absolutely yeah. pointless. So yeah, I mean, just it just again amplifies how crucial communication is. And like you say, you can come straight out of university or do whatever you do. If you can't communicate with the kit man, as you know, the same as you communicate with someone on 80 grand a week, well, you're struggling because you need to be able to do both. Yes, exactly. Well, Kit, kit Man in a different breed, Rob. They're, they're, <laughs> That's going to be extreme, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, my, my good mate is a Kit Man at Norwich, but he won't, he won't thank me for that. But no, nah, you're exactly right. You've got to be able to pitch to different people within the club because even players are different you, you get you get players that are completely different from each other you get coaches that are completely different from each other and one method of communicating with one coach or player might not work with another so it's it is pretty tricky um but it, it it's refreshing it's a good challenge and it, if you sort of shy away from that then you, you, you you're probably going to struggle but and as I say, just embrace it. If someone's questioning you, don't sit as a criticism against yourself. If you, if you don't know the answer, I always just think you're better off saying, "Listen, let me find out for you, and I'll, yeah, I'll come exactly. back to you," rather than just sort of waffle on a little bit. And and that's that's where I think players get annoyed, and that's where coaches get annoyed. No, I totally agree. Cool. So, what else have you got coming up? Obviously, you got the preseason coming up. But where can um, where can people keep in touch with what you got going on? Um, so obviously pre-season that, that's, that's cropping up soon um, so that excited about that and, and getting back you, you do start, start to get itchy feet um, on, 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 a, on a personal front obviously the, the cycling business um, hopefully that will continue to grow a little bit um, I work, work out of a, a little uh, a, a little shop in, in Derby uh, they've, they've been really good to me in there hopefully setting up a lab for me uh, in the next few weeks, which will be nice. So uh, if I can just plug plug the uh, the Twitter feed there, it's at lab underscore velo, so V-E-L-O. So sort of keep an update on there. Um, and, so is, that a, yeah. is that a cycling shop, mate? Is that a, just a, a, cycle, a shop that sells bikes and things? 
Yeah, at Labvelo is uh, is my business, okay, um, okay. and the, the cycling shop's called Love Velo, and that's based in Derby. Um, they sell sort of more higher end bikes, really bespoke, sort of great, great shop, and just sort of got talking to him, and and then he was interested in the the performance side, and he he wanted to to have a little sort of lab there where we can lactate threshold tests and ramp tests and. And movement screens and, and and bring that to the cycling world and I've worked with a few amateur cyclists and elite cyclists now and hopefully that'll just grow and develop a little bit so that's pretty exciting obviously the the, the day job comes first so it's it's a balance of not taking on too much really and, uh, and making sure that the, 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 the full focus really is on is on Aston Villa and, and making sure that the, the players there are, are well looked after um Looking at obviously introducing a few new things, and there's there's bits that you pick up when we're out in America. Visit a, a TRX, which was really interesting. Chris Frankel had looked to build that relationship, and that's that's a that's a form of exercise that really fits well within within football. Uh, works really well with our guys. So maybe try and develop that a little bit, um, and then just just searching other little bits really around maybe a data management system or or something like that. Um, so still still looking for that. I know there's quite a few few bits out there and I've seen quite a few bits, but not not seen the the one that I think will work for us yet. Um and and then on on another another personal front, expecting my first first child, so I'm sure I'm gonna have my hands full full there. <laughs> jet lag, yeah, permanent jet lag. Permanent jet yeah, I have uh, I've been uh, conditioning myself to, to uh, sleep <laughs> deprivation with a jet lag but yeah so so really exciting like I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the season beginning uh, looking forward to developing the cycling a bit and, and obviously looking forward to to the, to the new arrival as well Rob so so, cool. so lo- loads going on mate loads going on so what's your personal Twitter feed personal one is at MCW underline fitness cool I'll put I'll put a link to that on the site so people can uh, people can jump on and follow you. Okay, cool. Yeah, so that, that that's usually based around more general type fitness and and what's going on really. And yeah, I want to try and start blogging a little bit more as well. I think that's that's good practice. Like something that that came out presenting really is is putting your your ideas and thoughts up there for people to see can 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 help develop you as well. So I'm gonna try blogging a little bit. So if anyone has any suggestions or anything that they might want to talk about or or might want to hear about then I'm, I'm open to that like just just more than happy to answer questions or or write blogs on certain things no problem cool sounds great right mate well i've uh, i've kept you for nearly an hour now so i'll i'll let you go and get back to sleep no problem mate yeah yeah <laughs> thanks very much really enjoyed it and um, absolute pleasure yeah I, I shall speak to you soon you will do mate thanks a lot cheers Rob see you pal bye Thanks for tuning in to episode 40 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. If you want to keep up to date with everything that's going on the podcast and catch up with previous episodes, you can go over to paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash podcast. All the links mentioned in the episode with Michael will also be on paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash 40. You can always follow me on Twitter at paceyperform and I'll let you know when new episodes are out and different things that are going on. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Michael and I'll see you in episode 41.